G'day all, welcome to another Hardly Adequate podcast. My name is Desi and I'm a content developer and podcast host. This is part of a series where I interview people who are in cyber and we get to understand their pathways to where they are today. If you're interested in learning more, jump onto my Discord server and you can also grab an invite for that from hardlyadequate.com. For this week, I'm joined by Mark. Mark and I used to work in the same company probably about a year and a half ago now, I think. And he's a pen tester. So bringing us a, a bit of a different perspective uh, from what we normally have, because we've had a lot of instant response in the past. But welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, mate. Hey, Desi. Nah, thanks for inviting me on. Looking forward to today's session. All right. So first question we always ask everyone is, what is a normal workday like for you? For me, a normal workday is going to vary depending on where we are in the, the stage of the engagement. I was in pen testing, as Desi mentioned before. I'm actually on the, the CCX red team. Red teaming in engagements, there's a wide variety of things I could be doing depending on how far through the engagement we are. In the red team at CCX, we pretty much conduct simulated attacks against organizations, which can span from roughly probably a month at a minimum, where we don't do a full simulation, but just parts of a simulation, starting from a stream breach, all the way through to some of those bigger engagements, which last two to three months, which are full attack simulations. If we're on the, I guess, the outside of the organization, so where we start from in the attack lifecycle, it'll be doing things like external network reconnaissance, open source intelligence. So trying to build up an understanding of the systems and services the organization has facing the internet in terms of both on-premise as well as, as cloud assets. I think a lot of organizations fail to think that some of the services they have facing the internet actually make up a, a part of their perimeter. Also looking at Attacking identities, so once we do have a look at the systems and services facing internet, finding anywhere where we can stuff usernames and, and passwords to potentially do attacks like password stuffing and password spraying, right through to moving on to targeted phishing attacks where we're you know sending emails or trying to make communications with end users um, to have them you know entice them into clicking a link to either enter credentials or either run a payload file so we could compromise their device. Typically, when we're on the outside of the environment, I'm probably doing those three things in, in parallel while you're waiting for phishing emails to get um, responses. You also like looking at the, the services facing the internet and you know checking in and tailor or making sure that the password spraying or whatever identity stream of attacks you're launching is is going well once we're on the inside of a network i guess my day changes up a little bit more we don't really get care about being caught on the external perimeter too much because like what are they going to do they like the worst thing that can happen is you know they report your ip address or your infrastructure you just roll and and no one's really stressed as well if you like set off detections from external because nothing's really happened at at that stage once we move into the internal network, uh, I guess the stakes are a bit more high risk. You definitely don't want to get caught because if you get caught in the internal network, people start to freak out and the engagement can go sideways. But generally, once we're in the network, again, varies how far we've got to what a day may look like. People think hacking's super sexy, but in reality, when we do these attack simulations, you, you quickly realize that at least the first part of the internal reconnaissance when you're in the network 
it's just reading through files and file shares and Confluence and SharePoint and trying to build like an understanding of the organization. Like the guys always make jokes about getting arthritis from just clicking next file, next file and trying to build that <laughs> understanding of the, the organization. I guess the benefit of building that understanding in that nature of just like reading files is super low footprint. And most of the time organizations have enough information within files throughout the information repositories that you can get a realistic picture of what the organization looks like internally from that information without even doing anything sophisticated. Just reading files, you can get IP addresses, host names, like whatever you, you, your target is just from, from reading. So other than crapping my pants that I'm going to get caught, we do that information repository searching. Once we find something to pull on to try like achieve privilege escalation, the stakes kind of ramp up a little bit more because you're starting to make moves that could potentially be de detected. So I guess things like privilege escalation, if we've got an implant off and we can SOX proxy tools into the environment, we might be looking at abusing things like ADCS or Active Directory Certificate Service misconfigurations, which have been quite popular. I think our pen testing team have been exploiting for like the last the last year and a bit. I remember that that came out when I was at CCX, that certificate stuff. It seems to be really well known by pen testers and anyone in offensive security, but I don't think like blue teams have really got the memo unless they have someone that's super interested in that type of th thing. It's just niche, I think. Like that's like it's just another thing that they have to worry about and I think when it came out as well it was right right before maybe the MS exchange stuff happened. So they or th there was like some major major breach around the same time that it was coming out. So they probably just missed it because it was like we're dealing with Microsoft Exchange or Log4j or or whatever it was, the flavor of the yeah, month. Yeah, and that's at the time. probably the other thing, right? The, like the, the misconfigurations don't get that nice big CVE assigned to it, so organizations aren't like really focused on it as as much. But yeah, so my day varies a lot <laughs> depending on how far we are through the engagement. Hopefully, that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I I always say I like I love doing these because I always learn something about like all my friends that come on the podcast and have a chat and like, I, I didn't realize that you'd moved from the pen testing team into like an established red team. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of listeners very interested in probably shooting you questions. Uh, Cause I've seen that it's quite a hot topic for people outside the industry wanting to move towards red team. And, and I will get into that in the podcast definitely about how your pathway was and what a potential pathway could be for people. So that'd be, that'd be really, really cool. So let's go back a little bit to what was the job you had before you considered yourself being in the cybersecurity industry? So what were you before you were this awesome red team threat emulation, essentially attack tool? Bit of an interesting tale and surprising. So I went through high school, slightly a bit of a, a problem child. I didn't do too bad at school, but around year 11 and 12, like, I just didn't care too much for, for schooling. All my mates wanted to go to uni and stuff. I kind of like lost interest. So <laughs> honestly did the bare minimum to like pass high school, which was relatively easy because I went from doing, well, you know, maths, specialist maths, or the sciences like chemistry and physics to just doing the bare minimum. So I easily passed, but didn't really have a plan coming out of high school. 
so I'd been working part-time in a, as a bakery assistant at a, a local, uh, I guess, grocery store. My sister worked there and got me the, the job. So I didn't really have too much direction. Ended up following that path, going through an apprenticeship to become a baker. Did that for a number of years and just really was not satisfied with the, the lifestyle associated with baking or even the work itself was like not really fulfilling. So I guess as I progressed in age and matured a bit and I guess perspective on life changed, I realized I wanted to do something different. Around the time that I was, you know, coming towards the end of my baking career, I saw like some of the, I guess, attacks performed by Anonymous and thought that was like super cool. Now looking at it, you realize that most of them were like script kiddies. But, you know, I drew a bit of inspiration from that, seeing them like stick it to the man. So I was like, oh, cool. This like, this hacking thing looks awesome. I'm going to check it out. So I just started like using resources online that were freely available. So I think some of the first like hacking I did was to download Kali and perform some like wireless attacks. And yeah, just like completely self-taught and started like messing around with that and trying to see what resources were available online. Realized it was actually like a, a fair bit. And there's even more so now, like a few years later, I think things are really exploded. But I ended up realizing like, hey, I really like this. I think I can make a career out of this. So alongside, I dropped my hours down at the bakery or doing baking and like moved to part-time and then moved into uni and started a degree in information technology and, and cybersecurity. When I started that degree, I really knew what I wanted to do. Like, I think a lot of people come out of university, especially if they like go straight from high school into uni. I don't think they really know what they want to do. So they're kind of like exploring. I went into uni as like a, I guess, almost a mature age student. And I knew I wanted to get into like pen testing. So I did uni for like a year, smashed it. Probably halfway through the second year, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm learning what I want to learn. And at a rate that I want to learn at. So I'd started doing hack the box and things like that outside of uni. But obviously if you're like doing uni and doing it seriously, it's like so time consuming that like being able to do hack the box and things like that. I didn't have a lot of spare time left for that. I started attending events like ASA and SecTalks Adelaide. I think they were like two, I guess, meetups that were like instrumental in me starting my career in cybersecurity. So alongside uni, started going to Asia, Sec Talks, met like a bunch of people in Adelaide, I guess like a whole heap variety of people, blue teamers, it was Dan from Airlock, uh, met him, became great mates with him, still mates with him today, a bunch of other Adelaide guys as well that really like still, I guess, play a mentoring role for me to today. But from there, I met, yeah, Dan from Airlock and he got me a job at an organization he was CTO at at the time called EMT Distribution. Um, so like a distributor of cybersecurity products. And that was really my first... I guess, job in cybersecurity. I was doing like sales engineering for a number of cybersecurity products, including Phycotic Secret Server, for example. So when I got that job, I actually dropped out of university and I was like, while I do my job at EMT, I'm going to start studying for and, and do OSCP. So paid for OSCP out of pocket, was doing that on the weekends and after work. Yeah, eventually ended up passing that and probably a week or two after passing OSCP, went to interview for, for two for two jobs, got a job offer for both in, in pen testing 
and the, the rest is history. But that's how I escaped my horrible life in retail. In that pathway there, when when did you drop the baking? Was that when you went to EMT or like you were still working at the bakery through uni? Nah, as soon as I moved to EMT, I, I, I dropped out, dropped off from the bakery. Yeah. Okay. So when you had it, when you had another job, you'd drop from the bake. But you were you were doing the bakery while you were at uni, and then trying to do hack the box as well. Yeah. Pretty intense schedule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Worth it now, though. I definitely feel you when you said the people that come out of high school and go to uni. Like I, I was one of those people that because high school kind of gives you as like go to uni because you'll get a better job, but that it's never go to uni and pick what you want to do. And then, then you pick your degree. It's just like, go to uni and something will magically happen. Yeah, to hear you say, like, you kind of got over school but then realized you wanted to go back because you had a goal and you were like, this is where I want to be, so I'm going to try this. But then, obviously, that didn't work and you, you got to where you wanted to be anyway. So we kind of covered the next question, which is what, we, what was your transition like? What I want to dig into here is how big a part do you think the mentors played in your transition from being a baker, being at uni into a job? Like, I, I know you mentioned Dan, but I'm keen to dig into, like, you just started turning up to meetups and met all these other people. How huge was that to you just to meet people in the industry and kind of see like-minded people? Like, did that just give you way more motivation to go, this is where I want to be and it open more doors for you? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I think it's just like building the network in general is very, very important, especially Aza ran into like a bunch of people I'm still mates with today. But yes, one, like mingling with like-minded people. And also when you're like university, you don't get that real world perspective. It's all like, you know, books and really, you know, it's about building a solid baseline rather than like deep diving into one particular area. So being able to mingle with people actually in the industry and hear like war stories kind of like reassured me that I was going down the right path and that that was the path that I wanted to take. Also like not just mentors, I guess, as you said, like meeting peers. So another example is like Josh, funnily enough, who, who works with Dan at Airlock now, who used to work at Adelaide Uni, but um, he'd done like a bunch of... for for forensic stuff um which was like super interesting yeah just being exposed to a wide variety of people and and building a network is like super important so if i was like going to give anyone advice about like moving into cybersecurity, i think most people got like reasonable technical skills but like the best thing you can do if you want to break into the cybersecurity industry especially in adelaide is get along to these events and start like meeting people, introducing yourself to people. And, you know, you go once or twice, people start like recognizing you and you might get a similar situation to me where you're like, the job doesn't get advertised and someone just taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, we're, we're hiring, you know, do you want to consider uh, applying? Or even if you don't get that far, but you interview somewhere and you've already like met this person a number of times at a, a networking event, I think you're already leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else that's just applying by like submitting a, a, a resume. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I, all the jobs that I've had, like in in cyber, have definitely been from networking with people and knowing my own peers that are in the company and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's hard to like quantify how how valuable that is because you can be in a stack of five hundred resumes, 
but your name will pop out if you if if someone can put a face to your name like i i think that because I, like i like i've been on interview panels before and read resumes and like you you still read through all the resumes but if you have some background on someone because again like like you said most people have a good technical fit i think like it's not cyber is just about constant learning not necessarily being the best straight out of the gate but it's also like what we talk around culture like can you work in a team can you work as an individual can you kind of like problem solve on yourself and then when you get stuck go and go and ask a question and especially if you're going to like technical meetups like you can show off those skills without showing them off if that makes sense because you can kind of like you might be doing a going to a meetup that's like hey we're going to go through a hack the box today or something yeah yeah that that's exactly right like i always say you know it's the better the devil you know than the, the devil you don't so yeah if you're going through that stack of resumes and you know you got some comfort with that that person um yeah certainly certainly had an advantage i think i want to go back to when you were at uni first how valuable did you like i know i know you dropped out but how valuable did you find starting that degree and doing at least your first year because it sounded like you you kind of like really got into it smashed that first year got to your second year and you're like okay i'm gonna reprioritize where i'm putting my efforts into but how how valuable did you find that coming out of being a baker and then into yeah like it was super awesome and even though i took the like the, the path that i did i wouldn't recommend like high school leavers take that same path or anyone else for that matter I think the only reason I was successful at it is because I had such a clear like goal and a lot of drive to like get that done. But that first year was like, I guess, fundamental to, to building like a baseline understanding. And I think really that's what university is there to, to do. Not that I'm like overly experienced, but it just set me up with like a solid baseline of like broad topics from like basic networking creating databases, relational models, like basic SQL, some web app stuff, basic computer science uh, fundamentals. Like it just, yeah, it provided me with a really, really solid base that I may not have got if I hadn't have even done that that first year. Um, So if I could do go back and do it again, I'd do it exactly the same way, but I would still include that first year just because it, it gave me all about foundational knowledge that I built a lot of the knowledge I have now off of and, and still do to this day, like occasionally you're messing around with like a C2 and I'm like, oh crap, like how do I structure the database and the tables? And, you know, you're going back to stuff that you did in first year uni that I wouldn't have otherwise known about. So yeah, still reference that stuff to today. And I think it was extremely important. That's really awesome. And so then when you kind of moved on from there, you went to AMT and you kind of self-funded your OSCP like a like I'm similar I did my OSCP in 2017 I think self-funded as well how, how did you find that and how because I when did you do yours kind of is probably a better question because I know like it it's definitely changed over the years oh, good question this is the tough question yeah I think a... I've... <laughs> I reckon I would have done it like five to six years ago but definitely before it's gone through like the the big refresh. Yeah, the revision, big revision. Because at, at the time, like I think OSCP was the pinnacle of pen testing training at the time because there was just nothing else that was affordable to an individual. So how, how did you find it when you went through it? I loved it, to be honest. Like 
I know people have gripes about it and especially when I was going through it, you could tell the material was like dated, some things didn't match up. But even though it didn't quite match up or the you know, there's bits you can whinge about. I still found the content to be like awesome. Like it was a hands on interactive lab that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to like really mess with things. I think Hack the Box was just coming out around a like similar time, which offered the the labs. Yeah, it was it was really janky at the time. But no, I really enjoyed the course material. And again, like the material in OSCP served as allowed me to build like a, a solid baseline of foundational knowledge for, for, for pen testing. And also it's, it's not just like it's teaching you the technical like pen testery skills, but I think OSCP and the exam are really good at testing whether people can learn the basics and then under pressure can they like extrapolate off those basics and like think outside of the box to to go find the information they need to like solve a problem that they may not have come across and also one also have like the dedication to sit through a 48 hour exam like at the end of that exam you know that there's someone that that has that certification that they're probably going to have the, the capability to you know, be a, a pen tester. Obviously, it doesn't examine the social skills, the skills you need to be, I guess, client-facing. We were just covering off about your uni, but what I wanted to know now is about your thoughts around OSCP. So I, I did mine in roughly like 2017, before the big refresh that Offensive Security went through for their program. How did you find OSCP in terms of, the value you got out of it. Yeah, I really loved OSCP and I think now it's a controversial topic, but like the amount of information it gave me was like that, that booklet they provide you is very solid. There's a lot of information in it. There's a lot to, to learn and, and similar to university studies, I think it was like helped me build that fundamental knowledge. Like uni set the baseline for just general IT fundamental knowledge and OSCP set like the fundamental knowledge for like offensive security. So it takes you through like a wide variety of things you need to start pen testing if you haven't already. And the organization hasn't provided you with the, the chance to study that while you're at work. Additionally, like it makes you think outside of the box and, and solve problems you haven't seen before. And you also get access to like a hands-on lab. So if you're, someone like me that hadn't yet got like a pen testing job having access to to a lab environment wide variety of of systems to attack with increasing difficulty like the experience that provided me was in invaluable additionally like i think from the perspective of an employer oscp is is really good as well because if you know someone's got that certificate they've definitely earned it like Sitting the exam for one is like 24 hours to do the prac, 24 hours to, to do the, the, the write-up. It really shows that the person has like dedication and drive and probably has at, le- at, at a bare minimum the technical skills to be a competent pen tester. Obviously doesn't cover off some of the, the scoff skills that are required with you know interacting with clients and um, other members of the team. But I don't think there's any certification to, to test that, right? I remember when I was going through it, I... I think Breath of the Wild was just coming out on Switch. Oh, no. And I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went to JB and I, I bought myself a Switch and I bought that game. 
and then it sat there for like two months because I was I was kind of like going through that period of I like I, I don't know whether you do it or, or other people do but sometimes I like dip in motivation to study and so that was like a huge pick me up because I was like I'll go buy this and then I'll sit it in front of the TV at home and I'm not allowed to touch it until I pass my OSCP what and I just at Oh, it sat there for two months and then I, <laughs> yeah, I like finished the exam like a couple of days later, got my marks back and then passed and I was just like, thank fuck. And we just went and played Breath of the Wild for like two weeks straight. Yeah, it's a huge life commitment smashing OSCP, but how good does it feel to like pass? And Yeah, definitely. And also for, for people out there that I think like on, on the weekly, well, week 41 short week podcast that I just did, I put a post about how you shouldn't compare yourself to others and everything. And I think this is a, a good telling Like, I don't know about you, but like I, I attempted the exam and failed it the first time and then had to buy more lab time and, and did it again. Um, like I'm definitely not pen tested focus. I'm more of a blue team person, but it just goes to show like you can see other people in the industry that have been around for years, but they've definitely failed at things in their past and struggled to get through things. So Yeah. Like, I, I just wanted to put that out there, that I failed my first time and had to pay, fucking what was it, like 200 bucks to resit, I think, at the time. Resit, yeah. Look, since we bonded so well, I'll, I'll let you in on a, a little secret and your, your listeners. I actually failed the, the first exam set myself, so I had to do the yeah, same thing. okay. Go through that process of, like, pulling your socks back up and you know, having another crack another months later. But to be honest, it just made me hungrier. I definitely like took a hit for a couple of days. I was just like, cause I, what I, what I actually failed on and I, I don't know whether it was a lab or whatever, but I actually couldn't get past the buffer overflow, which is almost like everyone's like the buffer overflow is just like easy points. Cause you just follow a process and, you, and I couldn't get it. And I got, I think the 10 point lab. Cause they, I don't know how it is now, but it used to be like, 225 boxes, 220s and a 10, I think. So it was 100 points all up. So yeah, I got the 10 box and then couldn't get the buffer overflow, which everyone was just like, this is just given 25 points. And that just like demoralized me for two days. And then I was just like, I almost considered just dropping it. And I was like, nah, I need like, I've spent so much money and time. Like time was a big thing. Money, money I didn't care about. I was like, whatever. But yeah, time, I was just like, I spent so much time playing OSCP. And at the time I was playing like Hack the Box and watching Ipsec. Yeah, yeah, a Ipsec. Shit, what a shitload of Ipsec. Yeah, he's... Still do. <laughs> that dude's a guy. Yes. Oh man, he is. I He's like, because like I now do BTLO replay videos for like our BTLO platform where I take people through Blue Team Labs. He's been my like full inspiration on how he does, how he explains labs, like going into depth in like, and he just went on tangents all the time. He was like, oh, this networking concept, which was like one tiny part of the lab. He spent like 20 minutes on explaining how the networking worked and then would like open up Google and like show you all the websites and be like, go read this thing. And he was, yeah, phenomenal. Like, and just a dude who just, Yeah. yeah, he just read a shitload of stuff himself all the time and that's why he was so good the other thing i really appreciated about that dude is like he one way i like learned or like first found my feet trying to learn how to like hack and get involved with hack the box 
was reading like walkthroughs for like Vulnhub. So when I first started, I didn't know how to even do the basics like Netcat, right? <laughs> or I was still learning how to use like Nmap. So I started by like reading walkthroughs, like try to get as far as you can, but like read a reference to the walkthrough when you get like stuck. And you quickly read through the walkthroughs and you realize like the people writing them up haven't really understood the like the underlying concepts and they're probably you can just tell yeah they've just copied it f- from somewhere else yeah or especially if they like i i notice it now like with so much content development that i do i can tell when people don't understand a question because they like you'll go through the walkthrough and like maybe the first five questions they're like hey this is how you do this this is how you do this and then question six they're just like here's this file here's the answer and i'm like how did you get to that file like what what made you pivot from question five into question six and that like it's the same way and i don't know whether it's the same for you and your team but when when we train like investigators you have to write contemporaneous notes where your thought process has to be down on paper so if if you're pivoting for something it has to explain why you're pivoting there because writing if you write down an answer i'm going to come to you and be like why did you think that this was malicious? Yeah, yeah. Like you actually need an explanation and a, a story behind it to go, well, they were doing this and then this is another evidence source. This is why I went here and this is the answer that I found. And I find when you read walkthroughs, I, like I like reading walkthroughs that are like that, but you can tell when people don't understand because they literally will just be like, here's the answer. And you're like, clearly you just like brute force this or something and, and you don't understand how, how to get it. In, in real life. Yeah, that's why I really appreciate like Ipsex walkthroughs because not only does he show you like how and why he pivoted and explains like, I guess his thought process as you've said is like super important because that helps you like build your thought process. But I think there's like been a number of videos I've watched where he's actually like, I thought X and I went down some like rabbit hole and he's like, take you down the rabbit hole but explains like, oh, this is how I proved that this was a rabbit hole and I should, Yeah, you know, I had to back off and go like pull on some other thread. I, I really appreciate, that's probably the thing I appreciate most about that guy's videos. It's just like showing the wrong thing and then working out like how he worked out it was the wrong thing. Not enough people do that. While we're on this whole Ipsec glorifying bandwagon, which I, I love because <laughs> I, I think he's an amazing creator. But he and and for all our listeners, I'll post his website and his YouTube in the show notes. Because if you have if you have never heard of Ipsec, you're missing out in your life because he is awesome. But he, any video you watch, he will always re-explain the basics. No matter like he'll, whenever he starts a lab, he's like, "I'm going to do an Nmap scan," and then he explains all of his switches every single time. The only time that I haven't seen him re-explain stuff is when it was like such a niche technical concept and then he'll be like okay we've done this before here it is in this other video which means you only have to go one watch one one other video it means you don't have to watch his full catalog of he's always doing pen testing and you have to watch the very first one to understand how he's running his nmap scan he'll be like oh, i run t4 because it's quick and i run it with these other switches because i just want to get like a quick output and this is the output that i get and then I run this Nmap scan to do a more in-depth like OS fingerprinting or whatever. Like that, I really, really appreciate that, that you could start watching Ipsec now and you're not missing out on anything 
because he's going to explain it from the beginning every single time. Yeah, 100%. And uh, mm. say uh, IPSEC videos might have been uh, fundamental to me building that baseline knowledge as, as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be yeah, up there with OSCP. For sure. For sure. Fuck, I should, uh, I should see if I can get IPSEC on. I, that would be like, there's a few people that I really would love to interview, and he is definitely one of them. Um, if anyone has a anyone listening has a personal connection, please reach out because I would love to interview that man. Anyway, we'll get back on topic. So, if you could go back to your pre-cyber self and say anything that could help, so maybe that's your high school self. Do you think you would say anything to them or just let them follow the same pathway that they followed? I think I just let them like let myself follow the the same pathway, right? Like even though probably didn't have life on track back then, again, there's probably a bunch of stuff that like I learned along the way that pushed me down this path in the, the first place and things could have been different. And I could be going to uni straight out of high school and uh, doing a job I hate right now instead of a job that I like absolutely love and never get out of bed and like, oh, I don't want to go to work today because that's, that's never the case with what I do now to uni realized you absolutely hated it and then become a baker and then you're still a baker that would be the worst <laughs> bit of a nightmare i don't even want to think about that <laughs> <laughs> all right so we'll move on from that what areas of cyber have you been part of other than pen testing and, and red teaming like have you ever done any grc have you ever been on the blue side of the fence and done i, I well i guess being in red team have you ever done any purple teaming, which is the mix of both? Yeah, yeah. So definitely done purple teaming. I did a small, really, really small tent stint of like blue team work, like two or three weeks. When I got my first like pen test job, it was just some like random contract that we had to um, like fill. So I went and did like a security analyst role out there. Um, wasn't like super involved. Um, so not a whole lot to, to talk about there. Moving on to the purple team side, though, yeah, this is definitely something we we do a lot at, at CCX. So not so much our team in the, the red team, but definitely, like, the security testing assurance, so the pen testing team. And occasionally, like, I, I pick up purple teams. Really enjoy doing them, to be honest. Like, it's a good break from red teaming. Almost call it, like, a yeah. holiday. Um, the red teams <laughs> can be quite stressful when you're constantly worrying yeah. about, like, am I going to get in? Um, am I going to get caught? So really enjoy the, the purple teaming and also like working hands on with the, the blue team because you actually got to like help fix things rather than just like, you know, things broken. Here's how I'd fix it. Like you actually got to work with the blue team, work with the tools they have implemented, not just run like your, your technique, your offensive technique. You also then got to like explain it to the blue team work with them and be like, hey, like I ran mini cats. I think you have like X tools in place that should cat you know, catch its behavior in these different like log types. Are you getting them into your scene? Alright, you're getting them into your scene, like probably shouldn't rely on the defaults of EDR. Let's go have a look at these alerts and see if we can't like build a a baseline of what's normal and implement some some custom alerting. We had some really good purple teams where clients almost give me like hands-on keyboard access to the the scene, which has been quite en enjoyable. 
but really just trying to like encourage people to move away from don't rely on the defaults to things like EDR and actually implement context-specific alerting in your organization. I, I actually I remembered what I was trying to remember right at the start, which was when you were like, the red team's not that sexy because you spend a lot of the time just clicking through file shares to find files. And I was laughing at the time because I was like, that's exactly the same as instant response. Like I literally spend hours clicking through log files and just like it's the RSI of scrolling through log files because like for whatever reason, they've just had an incident and had stuff exfiltrated, but they're like, oh, you, you can't take our log files off to like parse in like a seam or anything. So you, you're like on their machines and you're doing it by hand and you're like, and, I, and I'm, I'm like this, like right up to the screen, just like trying to trying to scroll through being like, oh my God, like just... Yeah, it's super painful. Like I, it's it's worse because they don't have like the subsystem for Linux on Windows, the WSL. Um, so I can't even use grep. I'm just like, and I'm terrible at PowerShell. So I'm like struggling with PowerShell to like search through these files. I'm just like, oh, I, w- I wish I just had like grep cut and said an orc to like search through all this and it would make my life so much easier. But yeah, and like nothing in nothing in cyber is sexy. There's definitely moments, but I think ninety nine percent of the time it's consulting or boring looking at logs or files just to find things. Yeah, it's just the grunt work, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Where where's my AI overlords that'll do this all for me, so I don't have to do it? That's what I want to know. Yeah, soon coming soon. So talking about highlights. What has been a highlight for you in your career so far? Excellent question. I mean, it could be it could be just starting pen testing, right? But yeah, any can be anything. What what sticks in your mind the most? Yeah, I guess like if we're not like talking about cyber achievement, I think just moving out of that life of being a baker to actually moving into cyber was probably like a big life accomplishment for me. But also then just like moving to achieve OSCP was like a huge milestone for me because it's a goal I set like when I was at, you know, thinking about leaving uni, I set that, I set that milestone. I was like, Hey, I want to like knock this off. So achieving OSCP was like a huge moment in my career. I think my career is just like starting off and then like probably after getting like OSCP and starting to pen test for a couple of years, did a few internal network pen tests and I was like really fell in love with attacking organizations and especially internal networks and doing some of the stuff there. Like I really just thoroughly enjoyed that. So I started like going down the path of, you know, I maybe want to do red teaming one day and didn't, didn't think that was going to happen, but you know, just moving into like putting in the work and, um, I guess, continuing to learn and study beyond the OSCP, I was eventually able to, to move into the red team at CCX, which was like hugely rewarding. Also done like a number of really, really cool engagements and work with some really smart people now has been like a, a big highlight. And we're starting to like build out a team. I think when our team first started, for example, there was a bit of speculation where 
like, would we have enough work to support a full-time red team? There's only a handful of guys in Australia and NZ at the time. So I had a few mouths to feed. But two years on, we're like, we, we've got so much work. It's un, unbelievable. So being a part of building that has been, like, awesome. That's, that's really cool to hear, man. And it, like, it, it's always awesome to hear the stories where you were in a part of your life where you didn't, you were just like, this isn't where I want to be. And then you, you made that change, put in all the effort and then got rewarded for it. Like it's, it's so awesome to see for sure. Yeah. Thanks, man. Let's talk about passion projects. What do you have that you're doing at the moment? And and this can be cyber or otherwise. Like it, it could be like, I had a guest, which I, I don't think the episodes released, but they were really into like exotic fish breeding and selling. So it can be as obtuse as as uh, as you want. There's no judgment here, that's for sure. Well, we might push the boundaries a bit there then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. So cyber was mostly something I spent a lot of time with, even outside of work. So I don't mind like doing malware development and, and things like that. But I've actually taken like a break from that this year and moved into a bit more of a fitness journey. There's like a bunch of guys on, I don't know if it's just the exposure on Twitter, like saw a hacking day from like trusted sec go down his like, I guess, fitness journey. And I saw that and probably haven't been living the most healthy lifestyle <laughs> for the, since I was a teenager and saw that stuff happening. So I guess similar situation. I was like, Oh, I want to get on board with that. So as late been trying to, you know, go for walks a couple times a week started like lifting and that's been my big focus lately and i don't know i tend to like hyper focus on things or like one thing at a time like a hobby and that's the like the current focus outside of work is just consuming fitness content yeah and and, and trying to learn as that tapers off a bit i think i'll probably get back into to writing um more malware and and focusing on that and like, look, man, that's that's awesome to hear. I, I think like personally, there's been two points in my life when I was like midway through uni and I looked in the mirror one day and I was just like, you're a fat piece of shit. Uh, you need to start training it. Because like I, I used to play a shitload of sport as a kid and, and never had a problem with like being unfit at all. And I got to uni and I'd stopped all that and I, I went through that. And I think again recently is has been like, this whole working from home culture. Cause like, I'm not even, I'm not walking to an office. I'm not walking to a train station. Like, like I was literally walking less than a thousand steps a day and not training, not, not doing anything else. And it, yeah, I can definitely see our industry. Cause, cause I think people talk about a lot of hybrid work, but I think cybersecurity is definitely more on the, like at least four days a week at home from, from the kind of people that I know, a lot of people just work from home and fitness is just dropping. So yeah, it's awesome to see that you're you're getting into lifting and going for walks and stuff because like I'm going through that same journey. So Speaking of like the, the work from home, to be honest, I don't think I would have the time to, to do what I'm doing now if I was working from the office. So like I'm super thankful for having the ability to, to work from home. I, I, there's no way I'd be going to the gym if I had to get up at like, 
you know, 4.30 in the morning, go to the gym, have a shower, get ready for work, catch the bus, or drive into work, catch the bus home, cook dinner. Like, uh, yeah, I just couldn't see myself having the, the energy to get that done. So working from home, I think it's really maybe enabled the what I'm doing now. Yeah, I think it gives you the space, but then it's also a trap as well, right? Because you can definitely get, like I, I was in the routine of, like the longest walk that I did was from my bedroom to the kitchen in the morning to start making breakfast. And then the the walk from the kitchen to my home office is much shorter. And that would be it. Like, so it's very easy to fall into that trap of it's, it's comfortable and, and it's easy and you finish. And especially like, I think our industry as well, because you're constantly learning even outside of work. So like you were saying, doing, doing malware development, you kind of switch from one screen to the other almost like you you finish your work hours and you're like okay sweet i'm i'm super excited it's something that i'm interested in i'm going to switch off to another screen and start deving malware but in terms of physical life you haven't moved <laughs> like you've you've sat at the same all day desk <laughs> or like yeah all day you you're spending like 16 hours at this one desk like yeah, for sure. Like it's, um, I think it takes some some mental fortitude to realize, and it's very important to take care of your physical self so that your mind can can continue to grow and you can be healthy and like especially like both of us at this point in our lives. Like I don't know if you're the same, but if I went and went back and tried to play sport, which I've done at various points in in my kind of late twenties, early thirties, like I've broken myself straight away because i'm just older and can't play sport anymore but yeah staying fit is is super important i think especially in our industry because we we do work long hours we do spend a lot of time sitting down i think it's a huge benefit as well if you want to like even though it's like physical exercise i've noticed a huge change in i guess mental health is is as well and even just like thinking so much clearer not being as tired um yeah it's been awesome like i like from from my job we'll we'll get off this thing in a sec but... fitness podcast or cybersecurity? security <laughs> yeah i was thinking about that like i i find as well it's it's definitely helped if i'm trying to write a report for something and and i need to like phrase something in a certain way i'm I'm just getting like writer's block i find like a a walk around the block really helps like i'll put some music in i'll spend my entire walk thinking about it but just getting moving kind of like i like i don't know what it is but i kind of come back and i'm like yeah i i sit down and like i smash out like two hours worth of work and get the report done but it was just like i just needed to move away from my desk like it wasn't as if i stopped thinking about it but i just need to be away no, from i can r- really relate to that i think the two places i have my epiphanies are like i don't know crazy ideas is either in the shower or going for a walk around the block yeah. and as you say you do these for things sure. to try to forget about it but like the thing just gets stuck in your head and i don't know the answer just seems to pop out after that that walk around the block yeah for sure for sure okay cool so 
we've kind of we, we've talked about like your your passion project at the moment which is fitness and you'll you'll probably get into to malware development and this can be whether it's something out of work or or maybe you have a goal for work but what is your goal for the next six to 12 months oh good question so to get shred, shredded for stereo? Yeah, is that I, I still want Desi to be in Australia. body shots off my six-pack by the end of... <laughs> by summer. No. All right, you, you got eight eight months. Yeah, better get to it then. Uh, jokes aside, something I'm really focusing on at the moment um, and putting a bit of like research time in at work and also outside of work, and this pr- like reasonably specific, but just improving our team's like tool set for initial access finding it's getting a lot more difficult to like compromise a system to gain initial access into an environment. So making sure that we have like a suite of payloads on the shelf where if we've got a reasonable idea about what security technology is in place, we can just go grab what we need off the shelf and we get to a stage where we're so confident that we know if a user clicks it, we're going to reliably like be able to, to compromise a, a device. It's a bit of a weird goal, but that's that's what I'm shooting for over the next six to twelve months is to make sure we have that that capability in in place. All right, so we'll we'll move to the next one. I'm interested to know, and this kind of maybe tricks people up a little times, but what did you want to be when you're five? Oh man, it could have been a, a suite of things. Like we were chatting about this question earlier, and I actually had a think think back and this is going to be like super random but i don't know if you remember watching like postman pat as a kid like the the postie <laughs> i reckon i would have been so like a, a postie at one stage i was also what was that fireman sam was sam fireman sam i was just thinking it i was just like it, it was literally like postman pat fireman sam one after yeah that. so i reckon those two would have been on the list but other than that i'm not sure it'd be a better question for my folks I think, but being a baker certainly wasn't on that list. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, for anyone that doesn't know, like, I, I guess the names kind of give it away, but they were voiced clay animation kid shows, and they were played at like I, I don't know, like three thirty in the afternoon after you got home from from school. And yeah, one was a postman that had to deal with a whole bunch of stuff, and then Fireman Sam. There was always like, like he. I don't think he ever fought fires. I think it was just like cats up a tree, or someone had lost something, or yeah, he was always just like problem solving for people in the town. Yeah, it was weird times with nineties uh, kids TV shows. So, I I think we've probably already touched on this, but because I know for me. The way I unwind is like I'll I'll go for a walk or I'll I'll go lift heavy things. But do you have anything else that you kind of use to get away from work and unwind? Not anything is like reliable as going for you know the walk. Um, so if I have like a long day, I, I've super been relying on that to like decompress. The other thing I've tried to do is stop coding like right before bed, make sure it's like a couple hours gap. Yeah. This has definitely been nice where I'm like, you start coding as maybe even it's only eight o'clock. But if I if I'm still in Visual Studio at eight o'clock, I'm not getting to bed till too late. 
So it's not a thing to do. It's a, a thing I've tried to avoid is, yeah, opening up Visual Studio after 8 p.m. It's like no coffee after like, you know, 2 p.m. and no Visual Studio after 8 p.m. That's actually some good rule. I Like I've stopped drinking coffee past midday. And yeah, I like I've, I used to have a TV in my bedroom. That's gone. I don't look at my phone in my bedroom anymore. Like... I have to, if I want to look at something, I have to just move out of the bedroom because I, yeah, otherwise it's just like doom scrolling, um, doom yeah. scrolling. Damn, we're vibing hard, man. Yeah. It's it's not even like, it's like, it's not even doom scrolling Instagram or anything because like I, that was shit. I was just getting a whole bunch of like advertisements about dog toys that I didn't need to spend money on. But you did, right? But it was like. How many times have you been sucking? Oh, always. Always. I, I bought. Instagram had me. In, like, I was buying so much shit. <laughs> what, what got me with Instagram, though, while we're going down this rabbit hole, is that I would scroll through Instagram and I would see two posts and then an advertisement. So I was seeing an advertisement every three posts. And I was like, nah, Instagram, you, you've gone too far. Like, you, you know you've got me and you're just like, I'm essentially scrolling through ads is what I was doing. And I like I just removed it after that. But yeah, I, I bought so much shit. Question for you, Desi. What made you move the the TV and uh, you know implement these habits to put the phone down when you jump into to bed? Was it just like crappy sleep or crappy sleep? And it was it was the same thing of like like it takes me an hour to to turn off and go to sleep. So like I'll lie in bed for an hour. And I found if I got into bed and there was a TV, I'd be like, and and it had been like 15 minutes. I was just like, oh, I'll watch a, a TV show for half an hour. And then that turned into like binging a, a full season of Final Space or something. And 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 then it'd be 2 a.m. in the morning. And then, like, interestingly enough, like I have now gotten rid of all... I still have YouTube premium because I subscribe to a lot of stuff that's like learning, but I got rid of like Stan, Netflix, I Disney plus prime. Like I fucking like five services that I was subscribed to. And I was just like, like, I just don't have time anymore. And I was just like, I'm, I'm wasting my life when, and the same as you, like I decompress by going for walk. I, I would rather spend an hour walking than watch a movie now. And it took me probably like eight months to get to that. Like I slowly got rid of everything and, and I don't regret it now. And not having a TV in my bedroom and, and not looking at my phone in the bedroom has, has definitely like improved my mental health and it's improved my my life because when I'm like, in this room that our listeners can't see, but you can see I've, I've got my work computer behind me. I have my personal computer in front of me. So I separate my work and personal stuff in my house, but I don't, I don't do work anywhere else in the house. Like if I am in this room, I'm working. If I'm outside, I'm interacting with the dogs, my partner, I'm going to bed. I'm going for walks, whatever. Like it's, I just needed to separate because our our line of work is so intensive with how how much we have to stay on top of things and how much work extra work 
I think that we do that is not always tracked, I think, by our our workplaces. Like we're contracted for what 38 hours a week, but I think realistically we spend a lot more time being professionals than than what's tracked. And 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 what Yeah, hundred percent. Like if we're on the social media, I think probably the first thing I do as soon as I wake up is like if I'm going to the gym, I'm gonna smash some pre workout. But before I start, like I've got a half hour before that caffeine kicks in. First thing I'm doing is jumping on Twitter at like, you know, five, six thirty in the morning and just like scrolling through Wait, 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 X, wait, wait. wait. Sorry. I'm I'm sorry, X, what's X. Yeah. I I was like, what's yeah, Twitter? Twitter. I'm I'm calling it Twitter. I'm sticking with it. I'm committed. <laughs> um Yeah, but just jumping on Twitter and you know, that's the first thing I do. It's like my newspaper is going through Twitter, not for like personal stuff, but I just got like a bunch of InfoSec folks and that's where I get my InfoSec news and reading blogs and and things like that. And then I was doing the same as you, like doom scrolling, but doom scrolling Twitter just before bed, you know, reading like an InfoSec page or some new vulnerabilities come out. And as you said, next minute it's it's 2 a.m., you want to go to bed, but you're thinking about this exploit, how it works, or like some code. It's dangerous. Second last question, which is, I think, the most important question that I've asked so far. What pre-workout are you taking? Oh, man, I can't even remember what it was called. I was taking C4 for ages. I was even taking it when they had the substance that they ended up banning eventually because some, like, steroid head, like, overdosed and died and, and then... Because people don't want to blame steroids. They're like, oh, it was this thing in C4, so we're just going to ban that. Yeah, but looking at the ingredients labels for some of those pre-workouts, it's like a bit questionable. I think the only useful thing in there is the, actually the caffeine. And it's just a bunch of other random shit that has like... I love it when you read the label and it's just like proprietary blend and you're like, what does that mean? And you, you know that there's probably some dodgy shit in that. It seems to do the job, so... Yeah, kicks in and you're just like, hell yeah, I'm going to lift a whole bunch of weights. All right, so final question we're at is for people that are currently looking to get into the industry, and I think it's fair to focus on people that are looking to get into pen testing and red teaming, what would you recommend for them to do? Obviously, if you're already doing the right things and you're you know, probably listening to this podcast, you're probably well on your way. But again, like homing in on the networking and how important that is. I reckon you could even be like technically average, but if you're like super good at networking and like socializing, you're going to be in a really, really good spot to to break into the industry. So no matter where you are, I would highly recommend finding a meetup related to cybersecurity or even just programming and taking yourself along to those. If you're not like super sociable, It'll give you a chance to like build those skills, but start like building your network now. If you don't have LinkedIn and you know, LinkedIn can be a bit wanky, but if you're trying to break into the industry, like I think it's a a really good tool to have, especially as you meet people, start like adding them to LinkedIn. LinkedIn's not going away. It'll grow as you know, you grow and it's good. It's good for self-promotion. Like to be honest, I don't read most of the crap on there, but like, if I'm going to give a presentation or something, I definitely jump on there and start spruiking it, do a bit of shameless self-promotion. So yeah, 100%, if I can recommend anything, it's do some networking with people in the industry and start, 
yeah, start building that network now rather than later. For context with LinkedIn and how the fact that it's not going away is in 2022, its revenue in millions was 13816 So times that by a million, that's how much, or essentially $13.8 billion is what LinkedIn was pulling in in 2022. And it's just been a linear growth since 2017. So it's a platform that is not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, 100% can echo that. Like it's, it's, it's even just a great way to start connecting with people if you're looking for a job, I think. Like there's, there's been times where I've paid for premium for like a month Ooh. just so I could message people. Dirty dirt. And then Dirty I like... secrets. He paid yeah. for premium. Yeah. Here we go. Yep. Or I've got it on those specials where it's like you can get a month for free and I'm like, jump on Tell that. Tell me you clicked that from an Instagram ad. <laughs> I probably once, at least once. It was probably for like to start a, a LinkedIn for dogs, really. Like that's all my Instagram ads was all dog related. All right, mate. It's has been fantastic talking to you tonight. I really appreciate the time that you've given and the insights that you have. And I think from the guests that we've had in the past, the you've had a very unique career. I like I think a lot of people have unique careers, but the fact that you've gone from Baker to Red Teamer in your your pathway can definitely inspire the people that I talk to day to day who come from very weird backgrounds and they're just like, can I even transition into cyber? And I think that's it goes to show that if you have the drive, the determination and you put in the hours, you you definitely can get where you want to get to. So thank you. Really, really appreciate it, mate. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for thanks for having me along and listen to me ramble for an hour. Hopefully there's some entertainment value in there somewhere. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, everyone. So Nearly all the content is free, but if you want to support, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, and check out my merch from the website, hardlyadequate.com, where you can also get links for all of my content, including joining the Discord server. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you all later on. Peace.